Today at the SDGI Directors in Dialogue, Director Kirsten Sheridan and Casting Director Maureen Hughes present a special evening on casting. Dollhouse, which is uh, a film that we finished shooting Friday a week ago. Um, it was a four-week shoot out in, in one location, just because it was a completely different way of, of going about casting. Um, I think, anyway, wasn't it? It was quite yeah. kind of unusual. So I just thought it'd be good to have a chat about that. It's basically, it was a story that has, is an improvised film, and we filmed it from like a 15-page treatment. So there was no scenes to give the actors for casting. Um, it was all about characters and it was about casting really, really close to type so that they started to kind of become the character and, and say their own lines and that always got incorporated into the filming <clears throat> as we were going. But um, essentially it's a story about um, five kind of street teens, you know, north inner city kind of kids who break into this rich house uh, by the sea in Dalky. And the whole film takes place over one night. And it's based on a series of revelations. So at the start of the film, you know, you kind of go, okay, so he's the leader, he's the thief, she's the slut, he's the scumbag. You know, you have all these kind of uh, one-dimensional characters, you know, stereotypes in your head. And the idea is that each reveal as the film goes on, um, and they're probably like 15 minutes apart, the, the four or five reveals, um, shows you a different, you know, something hopefully that you didn't expect and hopefully becomes emotional. Um, as we go on so we're kind of trying to think that it's it's you know kind of trying to sell it as a very teen kind of drugs and madness and music and edgy and raw and fast kind of crazy train but underneath it all trying to kind of really find something kind of emotional and and surprising in it I suppose you know with each of the characters so it was a completely mad way of um of filming and what we did was we, we had an EPK with us almost all the time, you know, just kind of um, um, documenting it because uh, it just got so, the lines between reality and art just got so blurry <laughs> um, from the get-go, actually. What's Sorry, electronic press kit. So, you know, just someone filming the making of, the behind oh, the scenes. Sure. And usually, you know, they come out for like two days and ask you like stock questions and stuff. But in this one, we... I mean, I suppose I should probably talk about how the casting process started. So we started in April or May, was it? Around April or May. I've just been casting this thing for what equal love hate. So I've been looking at a lot of young kids, actually, in that That's age right. group and kind of in that world. And we would kind of seen two or three guys who were interesting. Not necessarily who ended up in love hate, but whom I thought were interesting. I think that kicked off the process for me. Yeah. And that we had found this kid, Johnny Ward, who was really, really interesting. He yeah. was kind of our first linchpin first, in yeah. a way. I saw him about a year ago yeah, in we were Love Hate Auditions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in a way he start, he kicked the process off for us in terms of kind yeah. of being the first one in place. We started seeing kids with him and then Chris, I couldn't do it because I was in here all the time, but Kristen talked to another guy, another casting director called Nick McGinley, who was willing to go into, and this is what you have to do when you're trying to find talent that's not necessarily represented and to not have an age group that's yeah. kind of found their way yet as actors. It was about going into boxing clubs actually and yeah. clubs all around the and around yeah. the town. Nick started identifying a couple of kids who were interesting. They started coming in here auditioning, workshopping. Yeah. And some one or two really good kids from the boxing clubs yeah. actually. 
Yeah. You know, people who, I suppose, you know, we were looking for instinct as opposed to technique. Technique, yeah. You know, and it was so weird because even on the shooting, which is jumping forward, but we'll, I'll just jump forward for a second. But we had three weeks with, with the core cast, which were six teenagers. And then in the last three days, the parents um, arrive into the story and they were, they were actors, you know. And just the difference was, was just amazing. unbelievable. Yeah, I never about that, yeah, just completely mad because, you know, I'd be filming. They wouldn't know I was filming the, the kids. They wouldn't care, you know. And everything what we did was um, we, we first we found them, obviously. Um, so Shane Curry was in Kisses so I actually wrote the part for him so that was easy because um, you know I had in my head the kind of character he was in Kisses and I, I knew him personally so so I wrote the part for him and then um, I wrote a part called Aina which was actually based in my head on a young Aina McLean because I wanted someone who was quite edgy but you know could actually surprise you and pull out an emotion you know from the back door kind of thing you know yeah. um, so Johnny Ward got cast in Aina's part. You know, Aina was in my head as I was writing the treatment. Um, and then Darren was, Darren Healy was in my head and Darren's just too old for, you know, 18 year old kind of thing. So Darren Healy from Savage. Um, so that ended up being a, a kid who had never ever, you know, been on camera or been in an audition called Kieran McCabe, who we found in Youth Reach or Foss that, that Nick found. Um, um, and then Kate Brennan was... Kate Brennan came through the regular channels, yeah, actually. She's pretty much. For a while. She's a theatre actress. Really and then the lead was a really hard one because the first revelation, and it's a funny one because I'm, I'm, everyone's going, so what's your film about? And I'm going, oh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I don't tell anyone what it's about. It's really weird. So we needed to find someone who could pull off, like, you know, with the hoodie and the pull off all that stuff and have the accent. Um, and then also transform because she transforms in the film into this other well, character completely. Yeah. So, so a huge part of it was you know look and accent actually, yeah. Yeah. you know because we'd find a couple of girls but we'd go you'd never believe that they were from Dalky or the other way around. Well, the other you way know? around, yeah. it was hard to get a kid who could cross both actually. Yeah, two quite different worlds. Yeah, yeah. Um, even the way they move, the way they speak, the way they look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we found this girl through Johnny Ward's sister who runs, um, she runs a, young, a young kids school, talented kids, and Johnny had been saying to us, oh, you should look at this girl. And we looked at her for a good long time, actually, before you actually yeah. felt she was the one. She's very beautiful. Um, and it's hard to know what world she actually comes from. Yeah, yeah. She's neither one nor the other. Yeah, she definitely has, yeah, yeah. foot in both camps. Yeah. And because um, we, we didn't have any scenes, I suppose each audition was kind of different. Johnny, I had seen in Love, Hate as an audition. Yeah, he'd uh, also auditioned for Paolo Sorrentino. I was yeah. happy enough to get the gig in the Paolo Sorrentino movie that came in during the summer with Sean Penn, which is a really, really intense script. But the Irish characters in it were really well-defined. And Johnny came in and did an audition just with me on tape, and Sorrentino wrote back and said... If this kid is as good as he looks on tape, mm. he's amazing. And so Johnny landed that role. So yeah. Johnny had a couple of pieces, good pieces of... Coming in already. Coming yeah. in on, yeah. yeah. He was coming in with a lot of confidence, I think. Yeah. So I don't think we even auditioned him at all, because I had seen enough auditions. Yeah. So we just Maybe. cast. I just went for lunch with him, and that was a huge part of the process, because 
you know, it's a really, it was a really fine line between going, I'm casting this person because I know that they can tap into an emotional X, Y, or Z because it has happened in their life kind of thing. You know, it was really kind of morally dodgy. You had to be really careful. So, you know, it was more about who was open to that way of working than anything. Um, um, so that was Johnny. And then after that, what we did was we, we, we cast Kate on an improv you know, we just got, got her to come in and do improv. Mm-hmm. Shauna had to do scenes from Love, Hate. We just picked this scene that we did to death, didn't we? Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, you know, you get sick as I was that scene. So, we cast her out of that. Um, and, you know, they were all various improvs and, and just meetings and, like, hour-long kind of meetings just talking about life and, and the story. And, you know, I think they all kind of went for the... Um, the idea that they were playing kind of caricatures and slowly kind of reveal something else as the story goes on. Um, and then we got some of them together as a group and that was so awful and frightening that um, I was... Yeah, it was, it was like an hour-long improv that was just went nowhere. And I was kind of... I didn't want to direct them in the first instance. You know, I wanted to just see what happens and where, who the natural leader in the group was because it was more about casting a group than casting, you know, the five individuals. Oh. So Johnny was obviously the natural leader because mm. he's a drama teacher, you know, as well. So he'd be jumping into the improvs. But, but um, yeah, it was, just, it was just really bad. And that's the problem with improv is that sometimes it just ends up with really bad writing, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got really depressed after that for half an hour and panic-stricken that we were shooting in eight weeks or something. So Maureen suggested going down to an actor's boot camp, like, and just taking them all away to British Bay, for a week. Put them into a house for a week and yeah. just let natural, a natural dynamic set up between them. Let them cook for each other, let them mm. hang around in a house. And actually that was probably what sorted us. Totally, yeah. yeah. In the end. Yeah. And so what we did was we got, I, I didn't want to stay with them overnight because I wanted them to, to feel that they were, they were a bit more free. So I'd come down during the day and do improvs and workshops and, you know, workshops about, you know, where did you all meet each other? Um, and, um, you know, your backstory with your parents and these kind of things. Um, and then I gave them a camera and each night they, they each had to interview each other. So it was only the five gang. Um, so they'd all interview each other and I'd leave a list of really intimate questions. Um, not intimate, but like, you know, everything from do you believe in God to, you know, fun stuff to kind of heavier stuff. And they'd kind of get into that and, and ask each other questions. And then I'd look at the tapes. So it was very kind of... They joke every time I came down, like, in the Big Brother house today, Kirsten is, you know. Yeah. It's very kind of odd. Um, but but, um, but it, it totally worked, actually, and um, completely gelled them all together. Well, one of the second or third thing that happens is that someone calls in. So this kid, Jack, um, hadn't, hadn't met any of them. So the way we, we did it was that, you know, he knew he was going to arrive, and he knew that there was going to be a group of people in the house because in my head, he's a next door neighbour, he can see from the windows. So he knew that he was going to arrive on set. So we went to huge lengths at every turn with like, there was one, two, three, four people are introduced into the story and the actors would never know who they were, when they were coming, <coughs> when it was going to happen. Um, and the doorbell would just ring and you know we'd have two cameras set up and it was just a complete head wrecker for them not to know the plot every day, you know, and the crew would be going around going, you know, using fake words, you know, instead of saying mother, father, like you'd have to use other words and stuff. So 
it was kind of interesting because it, it ended up um, sometimes with some great reactions, but more often actually, because they were so comfortable with each other, it ended up that they um, that they acted like themselves as a group instead of like their characters on on a film set. You know, they break they break out laughing and. You know, you'd be going, okay, well, that's good, but <laughs> that's not what happens in the story, you know? So, um, so in a weird way, what it did was it, it completely fueled the energy of the four weeks, which were really intense in one location, three weeks and nights, nine-hour continuous days with no lunch. Fucking pain. Don't ever do it if anyone ever offers it to you. Um, what is it, nine hours with no lunch? Yeah, because you do a nine-hour continuous or an 11-hour with lunch break, and everyone wants to get the fuck out of there at like three in the morning instead of wait till five, but your body can't really take it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nine hours straight and, you know, on no like point. no lines to fall back on, like to go, yeah, oh, yeah. I can just say my lines, you know, or... So it was really like directing live television, like, you know, because mm. you'd be going at two cameras and two monitors and a couple, I had dialogue written, you know, on one sheet that they had said, you know, things I cherry picked from, um, I also did hour long interviews with them as well, you know, um, before they even went down to British Bay about them. And, and then that would inform what questions I would get them to ask about each other and, and all of that kind of stuff. So fair play to them. They were all totally open to, to being... Um, really naked and uh, ripped apart <laughs> um, so yeah so it was like directing Light Alley <laughs> um, um, Ken Loach I, I suppose was the closest in terms of how he works um, but but it ended up being just completely different for each individual like you know some of them wanted to know nothing others were like you know eavesdropping everywhere and, um, so they were quite uh but the, the the writing is from their interviews and from the week in British Bay, which I'd say we've probably got like fifteen hours of footage. Like so, instead of writing a script, you know, you end up, you know, going through fifteen hours of footage and trying to create six characters. Um, so there wasn't any proper original script. No, it was a fifteen-page treatment. Yeah, um, but in a funny way, it's a it, the story is about kids who can't communicate and have no articulation and that the things they do instinctually when they're drunk or when they're scared or whatever are, are, the, th- are the more pure, the more real reactions and any, any dialogue in the film is almost a lie <coughs> you know, when anyone talks so I was really conscious of, um, of not having like this is the scene where I tell you you know, like the breakfast club which is, you know, it's uh, people like it, you know, and everybody said your film's like The Breakfast Club when they read it, but I was going, it is, but take away all the dialogue from The Breakfast Club and the fuck do you have left, you know? Um, so we had to keep the action going um, the whole time. So, so you know, part of it was... Um, and another thing we wanted to do was not actually have it fit into a genre, so that, like, it starts off as a drama and you should feel it start to twist towards a thriller. And then the second you think it's a thriller, you know, it, it comes back, you know, and, and there might be, um, you know, a funny moment or a quiet moment or a, a nice moment because, you know, I'd seen a donkey punch and all those thrillers and, you know, you kind of know 15 minutes in they're going to be, uh, 15 minutes in they're going to be, you know, a fight, 30 minutes in someone's going to pull a knife, 60 minutes in someone's going to get stabbed, that, you know what I mean, as soon as you 15 minutes in you see the the bang bang effect and I wanted to try and stay the hell away from that so so that something gets pulled out of the bag that you don't expect.
Did you have a, a, a start date and then you had, how long did you have then to cast or did the cast push the start date? The cat, no, because I had this, so I had to start at a certain time. Start date was dictated by the bump. <laughs> yeah, we had insurance issues, so we had to wrap at a certain time. So, um, so yeah, no, it was, it wasn't really a scramble because we 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 kind of had Shane and we had Johnny and, um, but I'd say it was well, what was it? it was it really April? April, May? We would have we started talking about it in April. Yeah, we would have been through May, June, July, kind of. Well, we weren't intensely at it either. Yeah. You know, maybe meeting Kit. Nick was out doing clubs, but it was yeah. probably easily over a period of three months that yeah. the groups were coming together. <coughs> and then the last kind of three weeks was like interviews was intense, and yeah. uh, the boot camp week and um and improvs and all that kind of stuff so could you talk a bit a li little bit about my, my understanding of of you know a five piece like this is that characters have to occupy corners of the room in other words they're they're and that's sort of related to my earlier <coughs> question about did the actors change the or did change the, the character in the script yeah what what what's your um I don't know, theory or whatever it is, or practice of getting opposite actors or, or fairy. Yeah, yeah, that was really important, and that was exactly it. Like more like casting a group than casting, you know, casting them for like there was one or two actors we saw that we loved, but they were just a repeat in a way. You know, they were too like Johnny or too yeah. like Shane, and you go, well, then you just end up with two people that the audience start, you know going which one is this so they had to be really defined and from the first instance that they step into the house um, Shane is like exactly that you know he's looking through all the drawers trying to find phones to rob uh, Kate is straight into the fridge because she's more like the mother the, the Denise character the, she's a bit more like the mother in it you know and she's the oldest um, and then Aina is just let's wreck the gaff and Kieran is just dancing and trying to find drugs, you know, trying to find prescription drugs anywhere. And Shauna, the main girl, is kind of wandering around quite airy fairy and the rest of them are all high, high energy, bouncing off each other. And sh she's kind of um kind of looking out windows and, you know, kind of heading the clouds a bit. So she instantly feels like a totally different space than the the other four. Um and then when Jack came in it was it was pretty tough on him because, you know, the first scene he comes in and they throw him on a chair and they interrogate him and they, you know, yeah, it's just try and fuck with his head, you know, and so that was his first stepping on set and, and he went straight into that. So, and then Johnny, you know, when we, when we, you know, none of them were like precious or like I'm a method actor or any of that shite going on with any of them, but Johnny was a little bit more, um, uh, you know, he wouldn't be nice to Jack Offset. He just couldn't, you know, for at least a week. <laughs> so Jack was finding it kind of tough. <laughs> but he was, but I, you know, he rang me and he was freaked. And I said, well, you're feeling exactly as your character would feel right now. Standing outside a door, knowing there's someone in there, knowing that, you know, it's a bit dodge and you're going to knock on the door and walk in so you don't know what the fuck. And he was going, oh, right, okay. So that's at least something, you know, that I, I'm as out there and adrift as my character would be. So... They all kind of hang, hung on to that. Question, what was the main um, re reason that you wanted to make the film this way? Like, it sounds a bit like almost like trying to just to find a vehicle through which real interesting characterization yeah. can come through. Yeah. Capturing moments. Is that, is yeah, that, yeah. Is that, um, I suppose just doing two, 
<laughs> with complete, you know, not complete control because you never have it, like, even if you want it. But, you know, I had screen like, I, maybe from writing for, like, three years and trying to get a film made. And me and Maureen worked on another film and the board pulled the funding and it had been a year of financing and, you know, and, and I suppose you just go, just give me six people and give me a house and give me a camera and leave me alone for, like, a couple of weeks. And so it came out of that a little bit, but also just... <coughs> You know, having like scripted everything to within an inch of its life, and then storyboarding it, and then you know all of that stuff on previous films. I just kind of thought, if this is about a lack of control, you know, that has to that has to stem from me. You know what I mean? More than anything. Um. So yeah, it was pretty liberating actually. I think. I, I mean, the only thing I don't know is if I have a feature though. <laughs> you know, we might have a fifty-minute hour long fucking TV thing or something. Um. Because we don't, you know, you had no idea, mm-hmm. like, how long Anton was going to be, so... Um, Do you expect, like, a lengthy editing process? Yeah. The shooting ratio ended up being, like, 50 to 1, and <laughs> we crashed the drives and ended up having to get more data wranglers and lost a whole day's shoot because we were shooting so much and wiped over a take, and, you know, it was pretty mad for the first couple of weeks because none of us had ever shot that amount of material before, you know? Um... But it was great, we shot on red, like I don't think we would have been able to do it on film. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that was, that was really it, that was the reason. And did you have a few, of the, I mean, obviously moments where you're looking at it going, oh yeah, there's something here. I mean, I know you can't have it the whole yeah. thing, but just in terms of even that sense of looking at on drama unfolding or getting a sense of yeah something that you liked. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I mean, like, you know, and, and it, on a day-to-day thing, like, it totally kept you going, you know, because I think in a way, personally, if I had to turn up for four weeks and shoot it, execute a script and, you know, do it like that, and I mean, that's totally valid, I mean, and I'll do it again, and I've done it before, hopefully I'll do it again, but, um, but just the energy of this was totally different and it completely propelled the whole process, you know, um, just not knowing, like, I mean, like, I had the structure in my head, like, you know, of, of the movement of the five reveals and where they're all going to end up going and you know at some point you also have to like I'd say to them this is what happens now and uh, and I hope that like that they really truly got it because you know we were close enough by the end for them to go no fucking way and if they said that they, they would probably have been right you know because it's, it's, it was their characters at that point and so thankfully like we seem to be making the same story all the way along so but I'd say that could get tricky, and we were just blessed that there wasn't any, um, any, uh, <laughs> yeah, mutinies. Yeah, complete mutinies, exactly. It was almost towards the end because, you know, the lads were thinking all the way along that it was like <clears throat> a certain film, and you know, everyone is like somebody's going to die, definitely. And there's a safe. A safe is introduced as well with combination lock. So there's a safe. There's a hammer. There's a knife. There's you know, there's all these things that are introduced. Someone was saying, and I never saw the film, Knife in the Water or something, some Polanski film, yeah. where it's all just about um, possibility instead of, you know, the, the end result, you know. So we were doing, like, we'd have someone go in and find a hammer and just hold it, maybe for a beat too long, and say nothing and then just move on and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So so the lads completely thought, okay, there's a safe, there's there's uh, knives, there's drugs, someone's going to die, and... And uh, when that when when they realise that that actually isn't the, the bigger twist at the end, they uh, they 
they were pissed off because they were like, yeah, they were like, Tarantino, come on, all the way, let's go. You know, they were really up on it, like, and, you know, they're 15 and, you know, um, and then, but, like, so that there was a bit of a strange kind of, shit, this is more emotional than we wanted, in a way. Um, the girls, on the other hand, like, it's a, it's a girl, you know, like, I'm making it, like, you know what I mean? So they were easy as, as I really, they totally understood it, but originally and I you know you just start thinking god I hope the audience don't have the same reaction that the lads had and go oh, fuck that <laughs> um, so um, but that was only for a day and then uh, then they were going okay yeah I see it now I see it so <laughs> and from a technical point of view was the film shot on handheld or fixed totally handheld yeah totally handheld because usually this kind of film yeah freestyle handheld yeah yeah there was no real um, like I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm stupid doing this, but I never really reference. I never really try and get out other films. Like the only ones, the cameraman was going to give me something to go on. Um, Colin Downey and Ross McDonald, which was great because Ross. I don't know if any of you know him. He uh, directed Colony, and Colin directed um, Through the Looking Glass, and also did all I, Ivan Kavanagh's low budget film. So I knew with Colin that he was, you know, he had been there, you know, he'd done, he, he slogs it out, he gets it, um, and, and, you know, he's kind of, doesn't have a huge, big ego, you know, so I kind of knew that that would be really important, and then Ross is like, because he's documentary, he's like, just shoots all the time, doesn't tell people, you know, everyone's having lunch and he's out shooting the moon or something, you know, he's just, he's kind of surreptitious and, uh, <laughs> uh, and just kind of finds the drama as it's happening. You know, he'd never go, oh, hang on, no, we have to set this up. Like, you know, you need to. Um, so it definitely was like, it took us a while to find our feet in, in how to shoot, you know, and we started off doing long takes and it's like rehearsing on set and, you know, it could take you, could take you se seven takes before you actually even know what the scene is about. And, you know, um, so we ended up kind of shooting the close-ups and then once we knew what the scene was about we'd come back and shoot the master like you know yeah. and then we shot it like masters but if there was ever a moment where you needed a master you know so um so the cameraman was totally free to yeah around. totally and we did all the lighting and practicals on set which was imperative you know and actually it was lucky because it just kind of turned out we had one scene where a projector is used and that was kind of fun because um they're filming her the main girl and they're, they're plugging into the projector and that's filmed back onto her. So, you know, you're able to play with an image, within an image, within an image, you know, and her face being reflected back onto the screen. And, you know, it's, it's, it, got, it gets very, um, <clears throat> very hairy at that point where you're going, are they gonna, is someone going to get killed or raped or whatever? So the projector lit that scene. So it's brilliant, like, because, you know, you've got, like, 10 minutes to get to grab something and, you know, everyone wants to wrap at three and whatever. And so I'd be following them with the projector and, and then... They, they had their own LED torches as well and they lit each other sometimes and then there was a fireside scene so the fire lit them mostly for an, an outside one <clears throat> and then we built these light boxes and a light wall, uh, fluorescent light wall into the set because it was a modern kind of house so it kind of sold that, you know. Um, we had a huge problem though because we were shooting indoors and then it's all glass, it's like a fishbowl, you know, and it has this mad view but you know, the film takes place at night for the last 15 minutes, which takes place during the day. So the last week of the shoot was daytime, and 
we had fucking NDs on and off the windows and trying to balance the light inside and outside was a grating nightmare. But um, that was, uh, I think everyone had cabin fever by that stage as well. So I wanted to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the most sociable shoot. <laughs> how, how long was the shoot? It was four weeks. Five, day, five days except one sixth day. We needed an, another day, but everyone was like, fuck off. <laughs> it's uh, in Bangkok. Oh. And it was mostly nights, wasn't it? Three it's weeks of nights, Three yeah. weeks of nights, which is really intense. Yeah. Um, and did you find a kind of a resistance to the method of trying to make it on this way? Because it is, you know, people, not only the actors, but even the crew, they're, they're not, they don't know what, in that sense of what are we yeah. doing? Do, yeah, do, Luckily, just, I mean, I suppose you cast like you, or your crew like you cast, don't you? Like, and that's why I, I, I certainly would have if I'd gone, gone with a different type of crew, I think, you know? I mean, the sound man found it hard because he had to have mics on everyone, you know? Um, and the boom guy. Um, um, but, you know, I'd say, yeah, I'd say camera found it a challenge, but, you know, I just maybe didn't listen, <laughs> whatever they did. Um, and with the actors, they haven't really, outside of Johnny, no. done anything else. So no. it's completely fresh to them. It's, they, didn't they know have nothing. Any, yeah. It is nothing they're not used to, do you know? Yeah. They probably think it's normal now. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the actual process of, of, of casting and, you know, when do you arrange it for? How long is each one? Uh, did you do callbacks? We did do callbacks. We did do callbacks, but it was kind of... Like, this was a very different film to the norm that I would cast, to be honest, because we were looking outside of the the ordinary in many ways, and you weren't going through agents, and we didn't have a script, so you didn't really have auditions in the in the general sense of the word, where you come in and you look at all the lead... You look at your lead character, and you think, well, here's 15 names of people who would be right for that role, and you bring in your top eight, and you show them to the director. We didn't have that in this. It was a very, very different casting process to anything that either of us have actually yeah. been involved in before. So there is no script. What you're looking for is the dynamic. It was about bringing the kids in individually, Kirsten getting with them. If she saw something that was interesting, it was about getting maybe two of them in together to see how they'd cross yeah. work with each other and eventually getting the groups in. At which point it all started, as Kirsten said, to fall apart. The improv started getting really boring. <laughs> Kids didn't really know what they were at, and didn't really know what was expected, and they didn't really know that we were actually making a film. They weren't quite sure what we were all up to. Yeah. And we weren't giving them a huge amount of support no, to we that either. We were giving them nothing. It was just like, yeah. come in, and you don't yeah. particularly like. You know, you were giving them, you were feeding them maybe two or three lines of an improv, and yeah. nothing more, and then letting them go for forty minutes. Yeah. Which was quite destructive in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, yeah. it was out of that destruct and chaos that you either got something or you didn't it was, you, it was about creating chaos almost within yeah. the audition room wasn't it yeah um, and out of the chaos saying is there something here that you could actually who are the kids who can actually work within the chaos yeah 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 of not knowing of no lines no scenes what, what are they going to give you what are they going to look like who are they going to react with yeah yeah and it was lucky that it was it was a group of five teenagers because like Shane did kisses and yeah. He was 12 and he yeah. didn't particularly, him and Kelly, you know, just two of them on set all the time. They were kind of bored of each other eventually. Yeah. Um, so I'd say if, if I had had Shane and four other actors that, he, you know, he wasn't, weren't in his age group. Yeah. But I think the boot camp did help. I think the idea of them getting away for a week and do funny things like have improvs in a house in British, I think that really helped our cause with them. Yeah. And particularly Shane, perhaps. 
Yeah, and Kieran. And Kieran, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I knew that once they got on set, it was going to get really difficult. And for a lot of the time, there would be a lot of boring parts where they're just hanging around, waiting for setup shots, not knowing what the fuck they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So in a way, the boot camp really worked for us. It gave gave us something solid to build on. Yeah. How close after casting did you get them to go into boot camp? Go into boot. No, did you? Oh, we signed contracts with them. We would be. I would have been conscious of wanting to sign contracts with them before we went to boot camp. We needed to know they were on board before they went to boot camp. Um. So I think boot camp was about three weeks before we started shooting. So we pretty much knew and would have contracted them and negotiated their deals before they went to boot camp. And we also paid them a certain fee to do boot camp, which I thought was really important. It was just a rehearsal day fee, not a huge amount of money, but just something mm. to say, this is a job. You're going to get paid for it at the end of the week. So mm. it was the industry norm, like half the daily rate less used to be. So it was a couple of hundred quid for them for the boot camp week. And that was important because it gave them a sense that we weren't taking mm. the piss, really. Mm. And you have to be really careful with kids as well, that you make sure, if you, as long as you're honouring your side of the bargain at mm. all times, yeah. they, they'll give you more and more. Yeah, and we did games down there, and you know, like literally, like Twister and <laughs> Buckaroo and stuff like that. Um, <coughs> and yeah, they had to cook for each other and all that stuff. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty normal for them, I suppose. After a while, yeah. Kirsten, was was the the initial idea? Was the process? Did the process come out of the initial idea? Like in terms of you had the story about teenagers, and you thought, okay, I'm going to do this process for teenagers. Or did you want to make a film like this and just that was the idea to see the fit? Because it seems like like to do it with teenagers is is asking for trouble. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. It would have been easier to. It's actually it actually came out of um we had a location in Doggy, which is actually my parents' house, just mm-hmm. in the middle of the most horrendous court case. Right when we were shooting, like the whole thing was insane. So <laughs> it was um myself, John, and Lance were at lunch, and I said to John, "Why don't you go and make your Abigail's party kind of." remakey kind of 2010 thing in Dalky because it's sitting there and it had been sitting there for a full year um, empty like pretty much and leaking but anyway um, and uh, and he said well if, you, if anyone's going to make a film there you have to and then Lance said because we'd been talking that day about money he said make it about money and so it was kind of all around the kind of what we were what we are trying to do with the factory as well you know and this kind of film and very collaborative and very open and very um, um, yeah, so that was the first time, like, so it was really the three of us, to be honest, and then, then I said, well, I don't know that world, like, I mean, I know the house, but I didn't grow up in that world, I don't know that world, I don't, can't really write people from that world with any conviction, so, um, so I decided to write about five people breaking into it from Sheriff Street, essentially, um, to kind of bring the two worlds together, so, um, so that was it, and then, then, you know, the main character, you know, I mean, a lot of it is, is just about, you know, what it's like, I suppose, growing up today, I hope. And, you know, I was informed by what they said and, you know, music they listened to. And, you know, I, did, I, I just couldn't bring any of my own ideas on because on, they're so outdated in many ways, you know. Um, but just, you know, I wanted it to be a film where there's no, um, no solid ground and you don't know where you are or what the fuck is going to happen. And... Um, and that so like almost like through osmosis getting the same feeling as the characters as opposed to intellectually being told in dialogue you know yeah. so there was everyone was pushing and even John and Lance were going Jesus you might need some dialogue scenes <laughs> and I still might go back and reshoot some if I have to but um, but we stayed away from that and like there was there was this kind of campfire fireside 
which was the perfect opportunity for them all to sit down and tell you about their lives or whatever. And I just couldn't do it. Like, um, so instead I have Shane say, can we just have a proper fucking conversation? And for him to say that is huge, you know, um, because they avoid proper conversations most of the rest of the film, you know, and it's keep playing the game, keep just keep moving forward. And, um, and then through a series of events and revelations as opposed to intellectual thought process dialogue, um, they're confronted with stuff that they can't really walk away from or that they have to um, deal with in the here and now. So, so it's funny because all the stuff on the boards like was, was my ideas of them, but, and it was really tempting. You know, Kieran, uh, who plays Darren, is really dark. And like in the improv town of Britta's, in my head I had that Jack, um, the Jack character, was going to arrive 30 minutes into the film and that they were going to probably, you know, maybe go for him. Because he's like a black rock boy, you know? And uh, so I got the girl, Kathy, who was doing the EPK down in Britta's, to knock on the door and just arrive. And then they all went for her, like, really big time. And then I realised we need a word on set that means actually stop. This is not comfortable. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so Kieran got out a knife down in Britta's then, and he's, like, tiny. And, like, he was like this the whole time. Like, it's just that kind of instinct you could never write, you know? Like, I was going, of course he's like that, because it's like cops and he had his hood pulled up and then suddenly he had a knife at her throat and I was going Jesus so that's what you think that's what he appears to be and then like when I did the interview with him some of the stuff was just beautiful and heartbreaking and you know things that you know from his past and things that have he's thought like the most beautiful thing in the world to him it was uh, some playground that was just made out of ice you know and I was going, Jesus, this stuff is all so great. And I'd love to write it in, but it'll be another film, you know? Because yeah. then I thought, you'll just be sitting around going, you know, pulling and manipulating and going, everyone like him now because he likes Playground Made Out of Ice, you know? Um, so instead, I just had, you know, one of the characters say to him, like, he looks like he's thinking about something completely um, out of character for him. And they say, what are you thinking of? And he just says, nothing. And just keeps going, nothing, nothing, nothing. So he's in denial of what he's thinking about, you know? Um, so really it's just about five people in denial I suppose until they can't be anymore I was interested did you think it was having specifically about teenagers who made it the chances of getting that sort of life that freshness that's yeah, something that, you, totally. that feels unwritten totally rather than mm, you know yeah. they, they can theatre actors who are very comfortable yeah 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 I'm sure it was a great shock actually yeah. when Peter and Deirdre walked was, into it yeah. in the final week and suddenly they wanted to know where they need to stand and what you expect of them and all the things you haven't been coping with for four weeks I mean, and then I realised my lack of articulation you know what I mean you just go as a director Christ, I have no fucking idea how to say what I want you know what I mean in actual fact I'm just you know give, saying one thing and then going around the houses with it and they're go like by the end I think their heads were melted <laughs> Because the others was just, just Kieran dance there, will you, you know? And then he'd do something mad, and then Shane would do something mad. But they just, they knew they had free reign, so they, they found some kind of magic moments, I suppose. But, um, but then when Deirdre and Peter arrived, <clears throat> I said to them, you know, come in, and you'll see what you'll see, and react how you react, but just don't speak too much. Don't speak, and don't go over to the person. And uh, so they came in, and they kind of did this, um, it was almost like a choreographed dance, and it's two theatre actors who know blocking, you know? Yeah. And Deirdre would look that way and then Peter would come up here and she'd take a step back and he'd go like that. And I was looking at it going, this looks beautiful. <laughs> it's completely different to what we've been doing for the rest of the time. But I think that might, that might end up suiting the film, you know, because it's suddenly 
the parents come back and all this kind of preconceived structure kind of arrives, yeah. you know, and it's what the fuck do you do with this now, you know? And did you try to stop um, conversation or dialogue? Like when you say don't speak, I mean, just in terms of getting scenes to yeah. work, what, were you, what was your main kind of yeah. approach in terms of communicating? You're, you're, you're trying to communicate something in a scene or, yeah. or find the beats or whatever it would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you saying you didn't want to use dialogue or... Not really, no, no. Or if we did, it was like someone else revealing something about you, you know. So I'd go blah, blah, blah. You know, there was a lot of that kind of interviewee stuff. You know, there's a video camera in the film. And I wanted to visually do a lot more with that, and I didn't. Um, Because I had seen a Michael Haneke film (coughs) called Hidden, um, where the, you know, the image of the house, and it just kind of becomes this amazing kind of subconscious um, guilt, you know, about his past, this image of this house, you know. And I just thought that was amazing. So I wanted to use them filming each other as being like like to have to chart that as kind of like the first time they do it to be to be um a moment of interrogation, you know. And it is. He's like saying, "Come on, give us a smile," and you know, you kind of go, "Whoa, it's, it's, it's going to turn into a snuff movie or something." You know, I hope that's what you think. Then it doesn't. Um, and then um, then the second time, it's like you know, it's a. Uh, a moment of revelation and she comes up and it's her house and the, you know they have the video camera on her so I was trying to kind of play with the image within the image thing but I think it just I didn't have the time to be honest to do it properly um, but in dialogue terms um, and then the projection you know they're, they're videoing her and they're projecting what they're videoing onto themselves so it's like weird kind of games you know um, but yeah, I mean, in dialogue terms, there was nothing... Like, there was a few things that they wanted to say, and absolutely they said them. But, um, like, Johnny, I remember, was wanted to do um, something about his brother. Um, he came up... You know, it was just so weird, because when we were down in Britta's, I said, so, what? tell me about your character. And I don't know what they were going to say, but in almost every instance, it was really oddly um, what I had written. You know, and in some cases, they were saying lines I had written in the treatment, and... It was really weird um but Johnny's like well I think I'm probably in love with Denise and I just can't get it together and I can't you know I think I probably have been for a long time and and I think you know <coughs> my dad is gone and I think I have a thing about my little brother and in my story his little brother is actually dead um so as the filament went on like he's telling the story early in this in the filament about his little brother and uh <coughs> and he wanted to tell it like you would tell it you know um, it was something he did in an improv here in the factory where he he was just going on. My little brother got beaten up and there was this guy in a grey hoodie who beat him up and then he just looked up at Kieran and went for him. Kieran was like, what the fuck? Um, and he was just paranoid, like he was being paranoid out of his head on whatever he was on. Um, and it really worked in the improv, so I said we'd put it in the film. And uh, and But he wanted to tell everyone what happened with the brother. So he had like four minutes of talk, you know what I mean? And I said, okay, tw- out of those four minutes, we're going to take it, but we're going to take 20 words, do you know what I mean? And, and that will actually be the story. And people will piece together the other 400 words, you know, no problem. Um, so then he just did it like he was out of his head and just a couple of words came out. And, um, and then as the story went on, then I was able to go, you know, actually, you know, your brother is dead. <laughs> so that would all happen like as we were filming, you know, that kind of stuff and... It was hard, though, because Kate, like, I had to say to her the night before, so how do you feel about getting your kid off? You know what I mean? Like, 
really and if she said not fucking very good I would have had to go well okay then <laughs> yeah. so so there was no kind of and Robbie um, I was like you know wanted to shave his head and stuff like that we didn't end up having time for that but um, but you'd know previous conversations you know with safety <laughs> with any of the agents either so. <laughs> yeah. so as far as casting is concerned where do you come in or where do you leave or where, do you, where, where, where does your job end my job ends when they're all negotiated and the contracts are signed then yeah. Kristen takes them off and boot camp onwards have nothing to do with it yeah. Yeah. Though you're out and set. I'm going to and visit. Standing up. Oh, what's happening here? <laughs> um, yeah, it's intense. For the for this office, it's intense in the putting together of the group. Once you get the group together and your director is happy with what you've put and you've negotiated them, contracted them, that's pretty much my job finished. Although, to be honest, actually, when you say that now, I actually regret not having Maureen on set, and it's something that uh, really? little to you, little known to you, I would definitely if I was doing this process again, I'd do that because I did have Frank, the, the um, an editor instead mm. of continuity person. I decided to have an editor on set, mm-hmm. um, because it's just so completely different. But he was great, you know. He'd go, oh, Jesus Christ, you might be fifteen minutes in here, you know, as well as a couple of little continuity things which we paid no attention to whatsoever. So that'll be interesting. Um, but um, but that was great having an editor on set just to bounce off as a director because you know especially in in this you've no script you just feel totally at sea sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I it'd be, it, and he did know the actors, but as an as an editor would know them, I suppose not not as as Maureen would know them. So, you know, or know their personalities. Like I suppose that's mm-hmm. kind of the huge benefit yeah. of casting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That you would go, you know, with them. Um, Obviously, I don't know who who the other people were, but you know there'd be things where Maureen would go, I just don't know if I believe, you know, that person can be this and can do this, and you know maybe those two are two alike, and you know so there's a, a real insight into human character. Um, cause I suppose you see actors every fucking day for yeah. uh, ten hours a day, so so it was it's a different. Uh, mindset to an editor, so I would love that actually. It'd be great. So would you would you come on board then early on if you yeah, try you, and get it? Usually, what a producer will do with someone like me is bring me on board uh, it, once the film is in development. Once it's got a certain amount of, I, I don't know if, if at what point the film board decides it's in development or not in development. You get a couple of quid to try and get somebody attached. Uh, then the film can go into a bay and scan for another seven or eight months. I come off. Or you keep it going. It depends on what the funding process is on the film. But once you get the green light to make your movie, you've about eight weeks of solid casting. That would be generally the rule of thumb. Yeah. Is there a category of actors where it is easier, you know, to get attached, you know, in terms of age group or gender? You know, is there like, for example, are women? Is it if there's less great roles for women over a certain age, is it easier to get a good actor? It is. The problem yeah. is, yeah, you can certainly get the women. The problem is, because there's been so little work, there are not a huge amount of women who are assumed to be A-list in this country. You count them in your hand. Or. Have you seen, have you had to sort of change your strategies or tactics <coughs> in the last few years to you know, working in these kind of more unorthodox ways, for example, you know, and the mm. budget's going down. Have you found yourself changing, like, trying to, like, I'm, I, I'm, when I was in college, I met Des Hamilton, and he's very, like, 
at that, that stage he was very do everything yourself, go do whatever you have to take, bend every rule to get who you want to get. Yeah. Is, is, do you find yourself moving more that way as well, or is it, yes. is it changing a bit? Yes, I know. I wonder if I'm understanding the question you're asking. I'm, I'm right. supposed to say, I, it's, I think it's fantastic what you're doing because I think it's really great for the industry and um, it sort of needs someone like you to your profile to make this kind of film so that it'll, I think, open up things as well in some mm. ways. Um, but I just wonder in the casting process as well, is there, you know, you, you work with someone like Nick who's going out there all the time in schools and stuff like that. Mm. Do you find that that's something more and more you're having to do? Oh yeah, much more. But I, actually, I'm quite happy to do yeah. it because it's a very small pool if I don't. Mm. A really small pool if we're just looking at the people on the walls and they've all gone. Like The, the big ones have flown and it's mm. great. They're out in America. Saoirse's out in America. Colin's out there. Killian's out there. Yeah. They've all flown. Mm. You know, If we have something really good, they might come back. They're all going to come back to do Brendan's script, apparently. Yeah. That's great. Great for Brendan. Yeah. But for a young filmmaker on the way up, I'm not going to yeah. get Killian Murphy. I'm not going to be able to get Brendan Gleeson at this stage. Mm. So, yeah, I, you do have to kind of. There's lots more street casting. There's lots more of trying to find something outside of the normal pool mm. that like side people. Um, like Sorrentino was really anxious that the lead girl who played the golf would be a complete find. He didn't want to know about any of the established mm. actresses. So there is a sense. I mean, that's great for me. That's where I love yeah. the work. You know. But it's all about, for, for directors as well, meeting with actors and creating relationships. I think you would know that as well from your... Yeah. It is great when you actually have a good dialogue with, with an actor like you have with, you know, at some point I would be hopeful that you and Robbie would make a film yeah, together. Yeah, you know? yeah, for direct, It's just really important for you guys to have actors that you get on with <laughs> and whom you meet or, I don't know, yeah, have I think relationships it's part of the whole with. Idea. That you just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's feeds kind your of creative impulse as much as you feed there. It's like you would have worked with Killian. It is important to have something yeah. like that. Actors that you know you can work with. Yeah. And having them involved early, I think, is interesting as well. You know, that's we've talked about as well in terms of here with whether we do some kind of acting rep or not, you know. But, you know, well, this is obvious, an obvious example because it's it's about that age group, but... You know, for someone to come to you early and, I don't know, just start start your own head kind of sparking, you know, rather than everything having to come from you, you know. Um, I mean, it's, it could be good in both ways, but mm. but I think that helps the process sometimes, mm -hmm. for sure. And how did you keep the crew down? If you had two cameras, how did you keep a skeleton crew? Um, well, Ross and Colin just focus-pulled themselves. The, Colin didn't really have to light because all the lights were in the set. So it was really um, one as cam and one assistant lighting kind of person. So it was a four-man camera crew with two cameras, which their backs were kind of broken by the end of it, though, because mm. uh, the reds yeah. are really heavy. And then we used these new sensors, low-light sensors, which were amazing, um, really new. Um, but like you can literally shoot in candlelight, you know, they're just brilliant. But they're making them heavier, and then the matte box, and, oh, yeah, they were, they were in bits. Um, is it like a modular thing, the sensor thing, or is it a new red camera? It's a new uh, um, addition to the red, you know, like, yeah, I think it was, cool. it's built into the camera as opposed to putting it on the camera, but it was, right. yeah, it was a bit of a lifesaver, so. Um, so, yeah, maybe tell us a bit about the factory and the whole, I think maybe, I don't know, it's the first time, I think, mm -hmm. for a lot of people here, and, yeah. you know, how, like, it works and how it came about. Um, it came about in Galway, at the Film Fla. 
And I had just gone to see Zonad. It was the year yeah. before this one. Two yeah. Zonad, was that all nine? Was it? Two yeah. Nine, yeah. Um, um, and John was just talking about. Um, we were talking about how lonely it is being a writer and sitting in a room for three months and emailing out scripts and being met with radio silence and just feeling like you live in a black hole, literally. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's funny because I would think. You know, say of my dad or someone or Terry George or these other directors I know, I go, oh, it gets better, it gets easier. <laughs> and the reality is, is that everyone's actually up against the same thing. And you know, like students are always saying to me, like, you know, so so what day what date did it be- all become easy? And you're like, it's exactly the same. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just exactly the same process every single time. It's it's fucking mad. But um, so we were bitching and moaning about that. And uh, John was just saying when he when he was younger like in the frames and stuff like that that he had a band and at least you had somewhere to go and you know it was it felt like a band and he was saying we really need a band of filmmakers and instead of like all competing in 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 solitude and um so you know for him the whole thing was about a space and then we met up with Lance uh because I I had seen Kisses and loved it and I loved once so (laughs) and then we went to um we went to Johnny Ronan and tried to get the building off him and struck a deal with him. And so, you know, the idea of it is, is really that it would be like some writers, some directors, some actors, designers, photographers, um, mm. artists, you know, like Claire Langan has been up mm. and, um, and um, that it would be- hopefully start to become like a rep, but for cinema, you know, because theatre reps are, are what they are and there's a great energy behind them. And to make films like, I suppose, like Dollhouse is the first, my first one, um, that are quite collaborative and, you know, I mean, probably to start, there'd be a certain budget level. And, you know, we were looking at at Zentropa and Dogma and, you know, looking at all the different movements and trying trying to decide, you know, should we become that or should we, like, subscribe to that? But we kind of decided that, um... Uh, having just no rules at all would be the better way forward, you know, <laughs> um, um, rather than saying you have to shoot X, Y, and Z. So, so I mean, probably by default, they'd all end up below a million for the first while, um, uh, which is grand, and then uh, and then see what happens. You know, we want John is going to shoot a TV, uh, mad mad thing for TV this month, just a pilot that I think he's paying for himself. Um, so and then to have the actor's studio here mm-hmm. is a huge part of it and mm-hmm. you know I mean we have like Kathy who was down in Britta's with me for the whole week she's from Dunleary so you know we want to kind of have a bridge between college and industry but also have the door open to people who would never know I mean like Shane and Kieran, for example would never know how to get into film and there's got to mm-hmm. be other writers and directors and and you know just other people out there <coughs> like that and you know we kind of eventually want you know, thirty people sitting around a table talking about one script and bouncing it off each other and and um and that kind of energy. So so that's it and, and I suppose because of this building it means we're able to come in with an idea, talk about the idea, come mm-hmm. up here and cast it, go downstairs and shoot it in the big room if, if we need to build a set mm-hmm. or, you know, or just use the room. Um, edit it here because Lance has all his post facilities and then um, screen it here because he just built a screening room, built a screening room. So, so it's kind of like we're trying for kind of low budget one stop um, shop yeah one stop shop thing um, uh, yeah so that's the idea and then with this you know <coughs> we actually ha- I uh, well 
anyway god knows what happened like but but i have this big pain in the arse about um how irish films have to do well abroad before mm-hmm. irish people go and see them kind of thing which just drives me mental like once is the perfect example my left foot's another example or they re-released that you know after after they did the big campaign in america so um so it's, it's it's i suppose that's the bigger that's the mm. bigger challenge is how to change audience perceptions and whether you get get into exhibition as well as you know and, and try and break down those barriers a bit mm. you know instead of all going to the some horrible multiplex <coughs> um so yeah it's very ambitious and very chaotic <laughs> and we just got a business guy so hopefully he'll straighten us out <laughs> Yeah, we kind of moved, kind of moved in in November and it's a bit of a shell of a building so yeah. it's all about so painting walls with whatever, a couple of quid we had some cheap yeah. carpets and pulling furniture out of VDP shops and things but we've gotten it together and it is beginning to work I was kind yeah. of lucky during the year because I was working a lot on a couple of things there was a lot of actors moving through here yeah. there's quite the really vibe was beginning to kind of get on, mm-hmm. Dark Light moved in a couple of months ago Yeah. Um, so it's been quite good, it's kind of beginning to define itself a little bit yeah and we rent out space, you know, as well, you know, to bands, to whoever, um, which is good. Um, but, you know, we're conscious that we don't want to become landlords. So it's just really mm-hmm. about, you know, needing a lot of ideas and a lot of um, heads. Um, and, yeah, trying to just get a lot of energy into the place, you know. So um, hopefully eventually we'll have a cinema. <laughs> the big room. <laughs> Is this, this is the only one collective in Ireland, is it? This is the only industry collective, is it? I think so. I mean, there's people who work with people all the time, you know what I mean? Like, there's directors, obviously, as you know, who am I telling them, but who have their producers or whatever, but I suppose this, it was director-led at the start, you know, with three directors, um, and um, Shimmy Marcus has been down with us, and Paddy Brannock, and, you know, Owen, and, you know, there's lots of people kind of... Um, Coming, coming, coming around, you know, um. But I suppose we'd like to find something kind of mad and new, and you know, like say if one of these guys came up and said, "I have an idea," or that we'd love to be in a position where we have the cameras because we bought them, bought them for a film and paid a little extra, but took the hit. You know what I mean? And and then so we start to build up a stock, um, where that you can actually make mistakes and not have that like I've three years you know and, and then I have one shot to prove it and if it fails I'm sh- like Alfred Hitchcock made like 200 films or something you know and mm-hmm. made a mistake and just said next what's next you know and you know to be and we do have the technology like you say so yeah. it's like why not um, fight for that a little more and actually it was also came about all around on board Snip Nua when everyone thought the film board was going to go we were going <laughs> Jesus Christ you know, we kind of have to do something, together, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah, don't close down the film board and go and protest and all that stuff. But above and beyond that, you know, if worst case scenario, that, um, yeah, that at least you feel like you're in a sinking ship with other people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to SDGI Directors in Dialogue. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit us at www.sdgi.ie.